Mini episode 1502 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1502. You have two FDH Lounge original dignitaries here today, Rick Morris and Chris Galloway. And we are breaking down one of the NFL's most fascinating teams on a year-in and year-out basis. There is uh, one team that always seems to be in the national spotlight for reasons good, bad, or ugly. And uh, the 2022 season could be an amalgam of all of those. Quite frankly, I'm looking at the Cleveland Browns here, and it is a team that uh, Chris and I are most uniquely qualified to comment upon, living on America's blessed North Coast. And it has been a foundational precept of the show, uh, really going back before the show even to some of the predecessor shows at the Sports Talk Network. If you want to know what's going on in a, a specific city, in, in a specific market with a team, you talk to the people that are on the ground. Chris Galloway and I are on the ground with the Cleveland Browns here and observing everything on a day-in and day-out basis. So we're going to break this up here. We're going to talk about offense first of all, and then we're going to come back subsequently and talk about the defense and other issues here with the team. So to do that, I reach out, I make the hot tag to my old friend Chris Galloway. Chris, good to have you in today, buddy. Thanks for making time. Well, Rick, thanks for having me in. I'm excited to talk about uh, Cleveland Browns and uh in what should be a very interesting 2022, as, as you have already alluded. So, uh, and, and obviously today was a big day. Uh, you know, we planned to get together this week, and today ended up being a big day in terms of uh, the, the the quarterback news coming out. Absolutely. And uh, as we are taping this, uh, in, in the sense of the word uh, today, I will hopefully have these uh, posted within about a day or so. But as we are taping this here today on Monday, August 1st, yes, the Watson news broke, and uh, Chris and I previously have expressed our thoughts on this in some detail. Uh, I would refer you back to FDH Lounge Mini episodes 1459 and 1460 from the time of the Watson acquisition by the Browns, and uh, you can hear everything that we said at the time, our differing points of view, and uh, nothing that has happened since has uh, changed the perspective for either one of us as far as what we think of it uh, and as far as... uh, what we wanted to see happen versus what actually did happen. So I'll refer you back to that. But uh, yes, as anticipated, uh, the Browns, it it was pretty much thought that uh, six games could kind of fall within uh, the middle of the spectrum here vis-a-vis expectations. And uh, this is now a roster where you have Jacoby Brissett uh, behind Watson. He is the presumptive starter for the first six games of the season, perhaps longer. The NFL may have an appeal, but for right now, let's just assume six. You have Josh Rosen as well back there, uh, as they wanted somebody with uh, more experience than Josh Dobbs behind him. But uh, those are your three guys sitting behind Watson. 
my guess is Watson is going to get some reps in training camp, but uh, probably I'm guessing the majority of them, maybe even later on in training camp when you would go a little bit easier on playing the uh, even the second-string guy in favor of the third-string guys. I think they're going to do everything they can to try to get Brissett ready. Uh, the first six games, it is a much softer part of the schedule than the middle part of the schedule, which is brutal. So talk to me about that. I guess we'll just start there with uh, quarterback play, which you're expecting to see early on and then later in the season. Well, um, what I would say is this. Um, depending on what the NFL does, uh, whether they appeal the decision to themselves, because in essence that's what they're doing, mm-hmm. self, should I should I appeal this? Self, <laughs> right. go ahead, self. Um, that, that'll depend on what they do. I, I think that the NFLPA and Watson's camp have put them in a little bit of a corner that if the NFL does appeal the decision to Goodell, and and, and again, I think this is where Browns fans got to be cognizant of stuff that, and how these things maneuver, right? So we're all thinking Watson's out for the first six games. But if the NFL, and I think it would be foolish for them to appeal this, but if they do decide to appeal it to, uh, to the commissioner and the commissioner tax on two, three, four, five games, whatever, the NFLPA and Watson will sue in federal court, okay? And you say, well, they've got a weak hand in federal court. I would agree at the Court of Appeals level. Um, at the district level, they've typically done well in terms of getting, uh, you know, a writ of stay on these things. Remember, Ezekiel Elliott got one for the, and played the first eight games. Um, right. Uh, and so if they were to, if the NFL were to appeal it, increase it, Watson sues, District a federal court grants him a stay, then he could start the season. You know, a lot like Elliot, he could end up maybe playing six, seven, eight games in the beginning. So we, we're going to go under the assumption it's just going to be the six games in the beginning, and then he'll be back. But I think fans should realize that there are some variables here where that may not exactly be how it works out. Um, and a lot of that obviously depends now on what. Um, the NFL and Roger Goodell decide to do. Um, but for our purposes, let's go ahead and assume we're looking at six games. Right. Uh, I believe today uh, Coach Stefanski did indicate that in the t- for the time being, um, at least for the short term, Watson's probably going to continue to get the first-team reps um, that they're looking for and that they will transition this soon enough um, so that there's split reps and then eventually Brissett getting – the, the pre- predominant amount of first-team reps. Um, so they clearly have a plan in place on how they're going to transition. My guess is they won't start working that plan until for three more days until they see what the NFL decides. Um, and then you'll start to see a transition take place. The other thing to keep in mind under uh, the new CBA is that a player can return to the team in the headquarters and start practicing with a team for the second half of any suspension. So that means he can return to the team in week four mm-hmm. and start practicing, Watson that is. So to your point, it would seem that they will probably look to get Watson a bunch of reps in the preseason uh, because keeping in mind he hasn't played in over a year. And that's important. And that's very important because I've talked about this previously. If you want to call it the Mike Tyson, Michael Vick type uh, thing here, when you are not used to getting hit, when you are out of your given sport for a period of time here, 
uh, is not just an assumption you can make that you're going to come back and be right where you were previously. So getting him acclimated physically, and frankly, if they were being smart about it, they shouldn't shy from letting him take some hits either. No, I don't think they're going to shy. Well, I mean, we'll see what Stefanski does. We'll see where their comfort level is. You know, he is a lot like McVeigh, I think, in terms of downplaying the importance of those games versus the scrimmages that they're going to have. And aren't they having a scrimmage with somebody again this year? I believe so, oh, yes. maybe the Giants or something like I, that? Or, I think or it is. I the, think it is, yeah. The Vikings, they're having a scrimmage with somebody. So we know that he is that more important than the, than the games. But I would expect Watson to play in, in all three preseason games because of his status. Mm-hmm. Um, I would expect by the time we get to preseason game one, I would expect to see Brissett roll out with the ones to start. They may throw Watson in with the ones a little bit um, and then let Watson play with the twos a little bit, you know, and, th- and that sort of thing. There's going to be, there's clearly going to be some balance in there. The good news for them is that Brissett played in a number of games last year with your Miami Dolphins. Right. Um, and, and to that point, um, you know, he went, the three games he started, he went two and one. I think all the doom and gloom that the national media has sort of been, uh, you know, enjoying themselves and, and sort of raining on the Browns is that, well, you know, without Watson, they're doomed. The playoff hopes are doomed. They're done. They gave away Baker Mayfield. What a stupid bunch of guys this is. Look, if you look at Jacoby Brissett's numbers over the, over the games he's started in the NFL, he doesn't turn the ball over. Okay, that's the one thing we know about him. He's steady. He doesn't turn the ball over. He, he's, he's got a low ceiling. But he has a steady floor. And and so from that perspective, you have a roster, and we're about to go through it, um, that my expectation in those six games, um, that with Jacoby Brissett at, at the helm, I'm looking at three and three, maybe four and two. Um, but this whole idea of the Browns are doomed, uh, I'm just not subscribing to. Well, and, 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 let, and, and, and if you talk to Vegas... In the first six games, the Browns are going to be favored in four of them. Yeah. So, so, and that's with Brissett. So that is a testament to the quality of the roster. So that all being said, clearly Brissett's going to be the guy for the first six games. My expectation is it won't be Josh Dobbs, even though he's currently third on the roster on the depth chart. It will be Josh Rosen as the backup, while Brissett is the starter. Um, uh, to your point, I think they'll want more, a little better experience, and Rosen gives them that. Although it's he hasn't been good, um, but he is a live body who knows how to play quarterback um, in the NFL. So if you had to go to him, you could in theory. Um, so I think it'll be you know when we were all for game one at Carolina, it'll be Brissett and Rosen should be the two quarterbacks um, on the roster and ready to go. Well, and again, any doom and gloom that there has been about this uh, kind of a thing with the Browns making the playoffs, as you say, is overstated. But uh, as somebody who anticipated a suspension of approximately this length, and in my preseason predictions, therefore, did not have them making the playoffs, had them as a near miss, it is one of these things where there's, again, less room for error in the AFC than most years uh, in football, because you don't generally have a conference tilt the way that you generally do in the NBA where the Western Conference is that much better or has been. I think the Eastern Conference is caught up, but historically for much of the 21st century, the Western Conference has been way ahead of the East. And in the NFL, you now have that this year with the AFC. 
as far as it goes with Brissette, it really is a thing where uh, basically, you know, he is uh, a lot like Case Keenum, who a year ago had the Browns gone to him, uh, had they uh, had the balls to frankly bench Baker Mayfield, tell him, no, you're not going to play, go with a guy with a low ceiling but a higher floor, they'd have probably made the playoffs. They'd have been 10-7, and seven. they'd have gone in there and probably gotten bounced in the first round, but would have at least made the playoffs. So that's the scenario you look at if you say, oh, they can overcome this year, but I come back to the AFC is a far tougher landscape than it was a year ago. Oh, oh, it absolutely is. You look at the teams and the rosters and the quarterbacks in the AFC, and it, it isn't. You can immediately understand why the Haslam's were willing to do what they did to acquire Watson, and why they were willing to take the shots and the negative in order to acquire him. Because the bottom line was, with Baker Mayfield figuring that he's probably the twentieth or twenty-first best quarterback in the league. With the AFC, the way it is, you weren't winning Jack Diddley. So they knew it, they saw it, and that was why they did what they did, frankly. And, and maybe they don't if the AFC's not just so damn loaded, right? But when you look at the quarterbacks in this league, and you and I have talked about it for so long and how it is a quarterback-driven league, period. And, you know, they're, you know, team and teams like the Colts, I mean, they're going to get better quarterbacks. They have a good roster. So to your point, nobody's making the playoffs in the AFC unless you win at least 10 games. It might be, the number might be 11, Rick. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I don't think you realistically you have a shot unless you win 10 games. And the real number is probably 11 this year. Yeah. So to that, to your point, um, it's going to be really important that Brissett keeps his hands on the wheel and finds a way to go four and two to start the season as the captain of the ship because anything, anything, be, anything, obviously anything below three and three and they are doomed. Uh, at, you know, four and two would be fine. Three and three, I think just keeps them treading enough water, but certainly makes the back half of the season just, just that much more treacherous considering how tough that schedule is. So, uh, I mean, that's where we're at. I mean, and, and to your point, it's the reality of the AFC as it's currently composed. And there are teams out there that I don't think you can write off like the Steelers. I know some people are kind of, you know, well, they don't have the quarterback, they can't compete. Well, you know, Trubisky's numbers, you know, his record and whatnot in the league with a very piss-poor franchise and a bad coach is, you know, you know, you, now you look at it in perspective and you say, huh, he's got flaws in his game, but it makes you wonder. I think the Steelers are still going to be dangerous with that defense. Um, and, and so, you know, there, there are going to be no easy outs uh, for the Cleveland Browns this year. No, it's, uh, it's, it's a moderately uh, difficult schedule, especially once you start getting to the middle part of it. It is uh, pretty brutal. It gets a little softer on the back end a little bit, but the middle part is very, very brutal. And, you know, in, in looking at this here, uh, again, it is a situation where the team going 3-3, three and three, I'm going to make one of my patented uh, Rick Morris type uh, of uh, statements here on this uh, that may seem a little circuitous here. If they start out 3-3 three and three against that schedule, then they become a team that has to win games later on in the season that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to win, especially if they're a team that started 3-3. Three and three. No, that's correct. That, that is absolutely correct. You know, if they lay an egg to the Jets, 
Um, yeah, where are they going to get that one back know, if they do, right? I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's part of the problem is that you know if they are going to win, if they are going to win, uh, you know if they're going to go three and three, they've got to win. They've got to win the obvious, the one ones that they got to win. They've got to beat the Jets. They got to win at Atlanta, um, and they've got to beat Carolina. Yeah, right? those are your three that are supposed to be gimmies. Yep. And then and then you're like, okay, Pittsburgh at home, you got to find a way to win that game, really, because I don't think you're beating the Chargers with Jacoby Brissett, and you're probably not beating New England with Jacoby Brissett. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's interesting. I, I would rate, uh, quite frankly, probably the Patriots and the Steelers is about an even chance on, on those two. Well, I, I would agree, but at the same time, I watched what the Patriots did to us last year. Yeah, I mean that that was beyond embarrassing. That it's true. Uh, um, and I would say that New England has an inferior roster compared to the Steelers. They certainly don't have as good a roster as the Browns. Right. But we saw what happened last year, and, and so. Uh, now that being said, that's the uh, you know Brissett has played a lot of Bill Belichick teams. He was on a Bill Belichick team, so you know who knows? Maybe he's not intimidated by that. Um, but you're right, Carolina, Jets, Pittsburgh. You know, shit. If the Browns manage to start off three and zero, people will be like, well, maybe they are. You know, maybe they do have a life. You know. Yeah. Um. But uh, and look, I wouldn't be shocked if they started three and zero. I mean, um, it's possible. But, you know, but I wouldn't be shocked if they were one and two, and they hit, and then two and two after Atlanta, and looking at those next two games, going, we've got to find a way to get to three and three. So I mean, we'll see. I I mean, obviously, obviously we'll see, but I mean, I, I obviously we have a better roster than those first four teams. Well, in, ter- and, in terms of the roster, uh, again, the thing that it jumps out at everybody when looking at this is is that uh, it's the best backfield in the league as far as uh, the running back room anyways. Uh, so Chubb and Hunt right there. Uh, Hunt is the best number two in the league. They have the best number three in the league, quite frankly, if you keep going down in Dearness Johnson, a guy who could start for any number of teams in the league. Uh, Demetric Felton, who uh, has potentially some Metcalf type abilities in open space if you if you get him the ball enough. Uh, he factors in there as well. He may be somebody that factors into the return game as well. Potentially, uh, he'd had some uh, issues with that, but uh, if they go back to him, it is plausible. One of the things that has been very very curious over the years, uh, this has been something I, I think an unforced error is the fact that there have not been enough formations with Chubb and Hunt on the field, uh, particularly since uh, Hunt is maybe the more obvious choice to be put in the slot. But quite frankly, you could do it with Chubb, too. I mean, he's got pretty good hands. So I I would think utilizing them on the field at the same time. I mean, that's the great white whale of Browns fans year after year, but maybe this will be the year they do it and take advantage uh, of the talent to overflow they have at running back. Well, it certainly seems from early in camp what we're seeing uh, a lot more for me. They're, they're showing some things of looking like Chubb and Hunt on the field more. And, and, and I hope that that is a function of these guys in the offseason really realizing that last year they blew it. And that Stefanski looking in the mirror going, if my goal is to get my 11 best players on the field um, as much as possible, and if we're not going to be running as many two tight end sets as we were before because we let Hooper go. Mm-hmm. That seems to predicate that Hunt's got to be on the field with Chubb a lot more. Um, 
And 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 look, I mean, if you're trying to put the eleven best out there, how do you not find a way to make that happen by making him a fullback and H back something, right? Yep. Alternating those two, because if that's your goal, you've got to find you got to find formations to get that done. Because right now, Felton and so far in camp, they're working him. They're working him in that slot receiver position. Mm-hmm. He, he's not even really working with the running backs at all. And, and so, I think he's kind of out from the running back standpoint. He may have a future on this roster in terms of special teams, um, but I also think he's a guy that that's uh, he's kind of a bubble guy. He may not make this roster. I mean, it's and I say that because so far in camp, Michael Woods the second has looked really good, um, and obviously they are high on David Bell, and they signed Jakeem Grant for the return game. Mm-hmm. So you start to look at the numbers game, and Jerome Ford is going to be your fourth string running back, who they really like. So now you're like, where's Felton go? I, I think he could be a guy without a country and end up on the practice squad, honestly, unless they go ahead and trade a guy like De- De- Ernest Johnson because somebody gets desperate because they have an injury, you know, second, third game of preseason. And, you know, and you and I both know Johnson could start for a third of the teams in this league right now. Right, so uh, if, not, if yeah. not more, it would be very so, uh, inopportune for the Browns to do what they have generally historically done over a period of time. And like, if somebody really wants him, flip him for like a fifth round pick. Dearness Johnson is worth more on this roster than he is a future fifth round pick. He certainly is. If you run the risk of losing Chubb or Hunt, mm-hmm. you'll 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 you. I would agree with that. You'll hate that spot if week two. Chubber Hunt goes down and you don't have Johnson, yep. you'll you'll be you'll really be kicking yourself. There's yep. no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, you know, but they, they go four deep there, five if you include Felton. But right now he's working in that in that slot position. Um and and, and even some behind Donovan Peoples Jones, honestly, mm-hmm. they've been working him there. So if he's gonna catch on, it's gonna be special teams and wide receiver, I think. And that's going to be interesting when you've got guys like Michael Woods looking good, Jamarcus Bradley's still around, you know, don't know what's going on towards his knee injury. They, they did sign Jakeem Grant. He would seem to be the backup to Bell in the slot. So Felton is a guy that, you know, we don't know where he's going to be. But no doubt, this is the best backfield in the NFL. Um, you know, one through four, one through five, however you want to shake it out. Yep. Um, it's not even close. Oh, I would uh, agree. The talent, the talent here. And it's probably, if it was just Nick Chubb and a bunch of stiffs, it's still top five. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I, I think he's, right. ar- yeah, he's arguably the best running back in the league. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that is absolutely right. Felton probably makes more sense in the slot anyways as far as the needs at wide receiver versus at running back where there are no needs really. Uh, Before we get to wide receiver, let's just stay inside for a second here. You mentioned about how this team has historically run two tight end sets. I don't think that'll be the case this year. Wisely, they are going with David Njoku as their primary tight end because at no point really did Hooper ever assert himself as being better than Njoku. And uh, again, there have been issues with uh, Njoku over a period of time, consistency, hands, etc. But his athleticism is undeniable. And uh, again, the, the, it's, for him, it's still the promise of what he can give you. I will also say, too, his primary backup heading into year three of his career, Harrison Bryant, who you and I had commented upon this, was a steal as a fourth-round pick two years ago. 
you commented on the need for him to bulk up a little bit uh, and that how great he could be once that happened. I haven't seen what his present weight is, but I assume that he has done that at least to whatever degree. Having said that, it's year three in a system that likes to feature two tight end sets. I think for Bryant to make more of a splash than he has thus far, uh, it's now or never. Uh, I, I always like to use in different uh, ways here on this show the old geopolitical saying about Brazil that it's the country of the future and it always will be. Harrison Bryant, if he doesn't get it done this year, he's the tight end of the future and he always will be. Well, we, we've had the tight end of the future forever, and that's David Njoku. True, yeah, he's the um, same guy, basically. I mean, yeah. And after and after all these years, Rick, the guy's 26. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> and, and, and so, I mean, let's not forget, for fans out there, Travis Kelsey didn't become Travis Kelsey until he was 26. Right. So I think that's what the Browns are looking at. They see the tools. They see that he's improved his blocking. They see that he's improved his hands. They know the athleticism, and, and I think that they look at him and they think, we can make this guy like a Travis Kelsey if we feature him and he's finally ready to be the guy and step up. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's what they paid. That's what they were doing. They were not paying for previous performance. They were paying based on what they think this guy is going to do this year. Right. And and if they're right about that, we're in for a real treat uh, as Browns fans. And folks like yourself, like Dolphins fans, will just be jealous. Um, <laughs> uh, we got Mike Gusecki. Right you're right about Harrison Bryant. Um, uh, he uh, he's got a you know this is this is his big opportunity. You know, because we are going to run more one one tight end sets. Because look, look at the guys on the roster. It's Joku Bryant. You got Forrestal, and then you got Santos Silva, who is their experiment. You know, basketball player. Yeah. Who I'm sure they're going to want to stash on the practice squad and see what they can develop with him. Right. Forrestal might make the roster as the third tight end, just as the blocking guy. So that's it. You know, this is not a deep group. It's Joku. Bryant, who hasn't yet proven himself, who's shown flashes, and then a, a developmental guy in Forrester and a real a Forrestal and a real developmental guy in Santos Silva. So they're telling you, you you're going to get Njoku for 80% of the snaps this year. Yeah. I mean, they're flat out telling you 80, 85%. Like Travis Kelsey, he's going to be on the field all the time. That's how I'm interpreting this yeah. current tight end group. Well, and, and he uh, should be. He really should be. By the way, Santos Silva... That, that strikes me as kind of a smart mark kind of a move of like, you know who else used to be primarily a basketball player? Antonio Gates. Perhaps you've heard of him. Yeah, well, Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, Tony Gonzalez uh, also. <laughs> there, there have been some good ones. but And look, every team, it seems like every couple of years, tries this yeah. you know, to see if they can find that guy. Right. Uh, and look, maybe he does. Maybe three years from now we're like, man, we can. We don't have to pay in Joker's next contract. We've got Santos Silva. Right. But you know, who knows? I mean, let him push him to the practice squad. See what he's got. You know. Yeah. Maybe in a year he's three on the depth chart. You know. Yeah. And and then you know, so I, I have no problem. See, to me, that's a hallmark of a of a good team, a good organization, and, a, and with a deep roster where you're willing to develop guys and be patient and see what you got to churn the bottom. Right. Yep. So. For years, you and I used to sit there and be like, well, you know, if this guy who's never actually caught a football does well this year as our number two receiver, we have a chance to, act, you know, like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, but now we have this, you know, we have this plethora of riches that we're, you know, we're looking to stash guys and develop them for three years from now. 
that's a great place to be in. Well, we'll talk about the wide receiver room in a second here. Uh, something that I think we can gloss over pretty quickly. As far as the fullback room goes, I would just say Johnny Stanton exists. <laughs> well, right. I mean, you know, I don't even know if they're going to go with a fullback this year, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Johnny Stanton may be a guy that is put on the practice squad, and they bring him up and down depending on the game plan for the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I have a feeling about that. I just don't know that – I just don't know. If you're going to put more of an emphasis on getting Hunt and Chubb on the field at the same time, yeah. Um, if you're looking for a block, why can't you put Forstall back there? Yeah. Why can't you put – you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't – Right. In this current NFL, I just don't know why keep him on the active roster. You know, keep him on the active roster permanently, you know? I think he. Be, I think fullback becomes more of a game plan thing, depending on what you're who you're playing, and he's a guy that may get yo-yoed, very uh, possibly up and down, off on the active and back off. Well, you know, for for Johnny Stanton, I mean, I think whether he's on the active roster, whether he's on the practice squad, he's probably got the same phone reception either way, so he'll be able to do his whole virtue signaling on Twitter thing, regardless of his position on the roster, Chris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you got that there. And then, yeah, wide receivers. Uh, all right, so Amari Cooper, clearly a starter at the one spot. You and I talked about this a bit off air. Uh, probably DPJ at the other one. You've got David Bell, uh, who I had listed in our football guide this year and in, in one of our non-fantasy football uh, segments in there in uh, Fantasy Football Draftology 2022, available on the main page of FantasyDraftHelp.com. I listed him as one of the most pivotal players in the league this year because the Browns are relying on him not merely to fill the role that was filled by Landry, but also Hollywood Higgins, who they let walk away. So Bell is going to be the designated kind of uh, you know safety hands type guy, move the chains kind of a guy here. Uh, and he really is sort of unique in that sense when you look at this roster, even though he's a rookie, that he would be considered to be uh, dependable in that role. Other guys here, Anthony Schwartz, who really, quite frankly, has to prove that he's just more than a gadget player at this point in time, fell out of favor last year and uh, has a lot to prove. We already talked about uh, Demetric Felton is going to get some work in the slot here. You mentioned Michael Woods the second, So they got some other uh, bodies in here as well, but... DPJ is on the spot. He has to take a big step up this year. Uh, again, he has the pedigree. He was a five-star recruit to Michigan, even though he never showed out at Michigan at nearly that level. He's gonna. He's got a lot to prove uh, as the uh, Z wide receiver, if you will. Here, David Bell as the uh, the slot receiver here. So you you've got uh, a little bit more of a dice roll in a couple different spots here than you had a year ago. And Cooper, for everything that he is still does not project, especially at this stage of his career, but I'm not sure he ever did as a pure burner kind of a guy. He's at least a borderline number one wide receiver in this league, but as far as being a guy that's going to go over the top, you're quite frankly going to look more in DPJ's direction for that kind of niche here as well. So a lot of roles to get defined here with this wide receiver room, and, and, and it has more volatility, I think, than most areas on this offense. No, your, your analysis is spot on. I've always thought of Cooper as this guy who is really solid technically, doesn't have those traditional number one big time traits. He's not Jamar Chase, right? Right. Like I always see, I, I like in an ideal world, 
Cooper is like this amazing, great number two, right? Right. But where you, you have a, you have a Jamar Chase at, at number one, or or a Cooper Cup, and then you have and then you have Cooper, uh, Amari Cooper as your two. Um, Cooper is a guy who can be the number one because you don't have that big explosive, that 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 clear obvious burner number one. So in that standpoint, I mean, that's just where they're at. He's going to be the guy that's going to be counted on to run precise routes, get open, and make the catches when the ball is is there. Um, and, and, we, and we've seen a career of he, he'll do that very thing. You're not going to get Jamar Chase. You're not getting, you know, this dynamic game breaker. Um, but he's going to be solid, right? That, that's what he is. He's right. solid. Yep. Um, and that's okay. Um, in an ideal world, he's a great number two, but that's not where we're at. Um, I, you you put the sort of a you put sort of an onus on on DPJ. I'm telling you, he is he's my breakout player of the year. You know, I, my question for you is, who led the Browns in in in, in receiving it last year? Was it him? It was him. Okay, all right. I mean, so that was year two. That's kind of the taller so, than Mickey Rooney award with that offense last year, though. Understand. Broken down, incompetent quarterback. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He had he had a guy like OBJ on the other side, you know, but he still managed to lead the team in receiving. Okay. I, I think what we saw was a lose some progress last year out of him. Not the big leap we all wanted in year two, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of that was more circumstantial than anything. Okay. Um, I, I remain a buyer and holder of DPJ stock. Okay. Um, and I believe with Watson on the field. And, and a guy like Cooper, um, you know, getting that attention that he'll have to get, I, I and, and I really believe you're going to see DPJ emerge um, as as a solid number two this year. And, and so I, I believe this is year three for him um, with a with much better quarterback play. Uh, Watson is just when he's on when he gets to this team uh, come week seven, he is going to elevate the play of a lot of people out there. And, and I think DPJ is the guy that is going to benefit the most. And so, um, uh, and you're already, frankly, seeing Watson with DPJ having a really nice connection to training camp. They seem to be in sync already. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I believe, I believe you're going to be happy uh, with that. So everybody's sort of questioning, like they don't have a two. I'm like, you have a two, all right? Now get them the damn ball. You know, that's who he is. He's going to be solid, I think, by the time it's over. David Bell, I think, is perfectly situated to replace Landry, um, perfectly situated to be the slot guy, perfectly situated to be the it's third and seven and you need that hard catch at the sticks. He is that guy. He was that guy at Purdue. Um, but he's got to stay healthy. Uh, that is, you know, that is the sort of the you're looking at him sort of side eye going. Dude, we loved what we saw in college, but are you going to stay healthy and on the field? Yeah. Um, that's where I, I worry about him. And, and now, you know, already he starts on the pup list. Um, and apparently it's not serious, but again, you know, it, how, how many times have we seen a player like, well, it's not serious. And then as the year go by, it's not serious. Yeah. Well, guess what? He hasn't played. You know? Yeah. So, you know, what may not be serious keeps somehow becoming serious. So, because if he's not in that slot, you know, you're looking at Felton. Uh, obviously, Jakeem Grant can play that spot. They signed him. He's not going to just be a return guy. So, uh, you know, you, you, you may you may have to just use him there. You know, um, uh, so I would look at Michael Woods maybe kind of emerging to be the, 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 
behind people's Jones. And, um, you know, they'll probably put Schwartz behind Cooper because I don't know where else they're putting him uh, except when they need that downfield burner. So um, the wide receiving core is thin on experience. There's some guys there with question marks. I mean, after Cooper, Cooper's fine. Yeah. And then you've got a bunch of question marks, right? Yeah. Although I, I don't really have a question mark next to DPJ. I think he's a good number two. Um, but the rest of it is all question marks, admittedly. And that, to me, is the one – that's the one part of this roster that is sort of the big variable. Yeah. Is, you know, are these guys going to perform to where they we want them to, or are they going to underperform? Now, this comes back to the classic question, you know, Ricky, of, you know, do you have a quarterback that elevates your receivers, you know? And I think Watson is that guy. So when he gets on the field, I expect everything to be to get better in that regard. Yeah, um, but we might struggle a little bit with Brissett because he's not a guy that's going to elevate. Him. Well, the other thing is, I mean, and w- when you look at it again, we'll do the defense subsequently here. But I- I'm not sure there's a position on defense uh, that ranks up there as much. And to a certain extent, I guess uh, let's take quarterback out of it because of the whole thing of it's going to be a tale of two seasons here with Brissett and with Watson. If you take quarterback out of it and you look at one position and it is uh, as goes this position, so goes the Browns, I think clearly that position is wide receiver. Oh, no doubt. 100%. You've nailed it. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not sure that there's much competition for that quote-unquote award because uh, tight end, as we said, is kind of much the same as far as guys having much to prove, but that's not going to have as big of an impact, quite frankly, on how this team does this year. Wide receiver and the ability of these guys to consistently produce is going to have a lot to say about that. Uh, as far as the guys who are blocking for them up front here, my first guess is that you probably have uh, a line that comes in somewhere between the last two years. In 2020, this was the best line in the NFL. Last year, not so much. My guess is it's somewhere uh, between that, uh, you have a new guy at the pivot here as Nick Harris will uh, step up to become the center. You have the best pair of guards in the league in Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. And then on the outside, Jedrick Wills now starting to come into his own at left tackle. They need him, obviously, to stay healthy. And Jack, uh, Jack Conklin on the right side. Uh, ditto, need him to kind of stay healthy as well. Uh, As far as the uh, utility guys on this line, the primary utility guys, I think, figure to be Blake Hance and Chris Hubbard playing both inside and outside. So uh, it is, again, it's a line that's got, you know, a bit of depth there because you can play at least one of those two guys without uh, feeling too much of a pinch. But uh, again, a new center uh, and uh, moving forward here with that and uh, Nick Harris and yeah, much Nick Harris is much like, I think, the way that we talked about David Njoku and DPJ as far as being a very, very pivotal player on this roster, not merely because he occupies the pivot spot on the line, uh, but in terms of the cohesion of this line. And if they're going to be anywhere close to where they were in 2020, that guy's got to step up and fill those shoes for Treader. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Nick Harris, the focus will be on him. The great thing for Nick Harris is is what you just said. You've got two Pro Bowl guards on either side of you. I mean, that's a safety blanket for him. Um, to, you know, most guys getting ready to start center in the NFL aren't going to have two Pro Bowlers on either side of them. Right. So that that is going to be a huge help to Nick. The other thing is, you know, remember the la- last year, Trenter barely practiced at all. 
right? Mm-hmm. They've got all the snaps in practice. This team has seen him perform in practice. And he started the game against Green Bay and, and did fine. So because they were trying to protect Treader's health, his back and his knees, he, he almost never practiced. So this team is well aware of what Harris has got. Now, what has Harris got? Well, he's athletic. He's got great feet, so he, he, he fits the zone blocking scheme perfectly. What are the weaknesses? Well, he's 6'1". He's a little undersized in that regard. Um, if he ends up with a huge you know, mountain of a nose tackle over him, he might have a rough day because he's just going to struggle physically to, to manage a, a player like that. So my guess is that they would then adjust their schemes to have somebody, you know, if they're facing a 3-4 with a big nose tackle, you know, maybe there's a situation where a guy like Teller or Batonio, depending on the lineup uh, or the alignment, is going to, you know, help him with that person. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, that's going to be his biggest weakness in my in my mind. He's athletic. He can get out and pull and run. Um, so he's going to, you know, he's going to be fine in that. He fits the zone blocking scheme, which is why they drafted him. And, and I also believe they drafted him part also because he was a little shorter uh, in an attempt to help Baker that said in many regards he fits I think he's going to be fine um to me the biggest issue is your, your tackle spots mm-hmm. is th- if if Conklin is healthy we're fine there right yeah those guys it's, gotta hold the up question mark yeah can he stay on the damn field right um if he's on the field and healthy I don't worry about it he's fine Willis uh Wills Willis Wills you know, he got hurt in the first game, and he just never was 100% the rest of the year. Yeah. And, you know, it was probably a mistake on their part, honestly, to not rest him. It was not, a panic move. Rest him right, it was right an absolute, absolute panic move to keep him in there. It was stupid. And it, and it wore him out, and it, and it really hurt his second-year development. Um, and he's coming in healthy. He's added more muscle. He's, you know... So my hope is that he doesn't get hurt, stays healthy, and he can be an above-average left tackle. If you get above-average play out of him there, Conklin stays healthy. This is, again, a top-three line. But again, to me, it all comes down to the health of those two tackles. Yeah. they gotta, they got to stay on the field. Because, Hud's, uh, because Hubbard is a good utility guy, but there's a huge drop-off. I mean, Hubbard's value is his ability to play all over the line. Yeah. It's not. It's not that he's particularly good anywhere, right? He's good for like one spot start, and that's it. Um, Blake Hans, same thing. You can play him around, but he's not exactly. You know, he's not exactly going to give you a ton of confidence long term if you had to. James Hudson isn't ready yet to yeah. back up. I mean, he's backing up Wills, but he's not ready yet. He, you know, he was a young guy. He came out. Well, you know, he barely has played the position. He got thrown into the fire last year. He has a lot of developing to do. So I just, you know, if they stay healthy, it's a top three line. If the tackles and if they can't stay healthy, they're going to have problems. That is very but again, possible. But again, name, name any other position group in football that you couldn't say that about, right? I mean, well, right. If they're healthy, they're good. If they're not healthy, we're in trouble. Well, I mean, and I know it's sort of like cliche, like, uh, but it's true. Um, you could say that about any position group and any player, um, but you know, I do worry. I do worry about Conklin staying on the damn field 
Well, I mean, there's some lines in the league, and I'm just the first one that comes to mind, I guess, is Atlanta, where even if they're healthy, I don't think they're that good. So, you know, in some cases, uh, the health of the line, it just it, it makes the difference as far as how good or, or how, how bad they're going to be because, uh, you know, they, they could be pretty bad if they're not all healthy and mediocre, maybe at best if they are healthy. But, yes, the Browns line, if everything goes well, will be exceptional. So, all right, I'm going to bring this around on this segment here for the offense. Uh, I'm just going to, whatever metric you have in your mind, or I don't have a specific one, whether it be DVOA or anything else, but whatever type of, uh, you know, you love analytics here, right? So whatever analytics type metric there might be that puts a final number grade on this offense at the end of the year, where would you expect it to come in at? I'll go first. I'll say my over-under number would be 13 for this offense. Oh, you mean overall out of all the ratings of all the offenses? Yes, like whether, uh, whether it be DVOA yeah, or whatever you saying. prefer. Just a number just more so to symbolize, I guess, where you think the standing of this offense will be around the league. I think it's a cumulative. I think we'll end up right around 10 or 11, and that's okay. mostly because with Brissett statistically, mm-hmm. we're not going to light the world on fire mm-hmm. and with an inexperienced receiving core i think that'll hold us back in the front end of the, of the season but obviously with a you know potentially with a top three o-line the best running the best backfield in the league and a potentially getting back at, at starting in week seven a a top five ish quarterback in deshaun watson i would expect that this team will improve as the year goes on and so They'll, they'll trend in the right direction and finish 10th or 11th. They've got, in my mind, in order to be successful, they've got to get back up to that 30, 31 points a game. They've That's got true. to get up there. Yes. Uh, in order to compete at the end of the season and to be ready to roll for the playoffs, they've got to be at that at that point. Well, okay. Our, uh, our prediction on the uh, numbers there was a little closer than I thought it would be, so we're, we're actually not far off at all on that one there, so we'll have to see how our predictions go on that. Uh, in our next segment here, we'll take a look at the defense and special teams. Thank you so much, Chris Galloway. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1502.